Hey everyone, it's Plexweather. I'm Jason. I'm Kim. And we're going to talk about the Washington Spirit. There have been two games since our last episode because there were many games this week to such an extent that I, I know I feel completely overwhelmed by the amount of soccer currently happening <laughs> after so much time where there was just none. But yeah, we've got both games. We've got, uh, we might touch on the other stuff going on around the league, the other games happening. The fact that NWSL had the big announcement this morning that Louisville will be uh, what what they would want us to call racing Louisville, but clearly has to be pronounced Rossing Louisville. Uh, <laughs> if, if they're going to take a soccer tradition from another country, they're stuck with the Spanish pronunciation, I think. R- right, just because... I mean, we say we say Real Salt Lake. We don't say Real Salt Lake, right? right? Um, so if you're going to name your team after um, Rossing, whether that be the the Spanish or the the Argentinian team, would be there are others around the world, but those are the the two uh, famous ones. Then um, they should go by Rossing Louisville. Yeah, I, I think they should embrace it uh, if, if they're gonna if they're gonna go this route. It's a weird one because it's like it gets into that weird, you know, English migrants in a Spanish speaking country founded a sports club based on the idea of racing things. And then that sports club expanded to include soccer. And but that was the name of the entire sports club. And so now you're stuck with this English loan word in a Spanish country being used for the title of a team. But that's how soccer spread across much of the world. So All right. that's also why. um the team in Bilbao is called Athletic, not Atletico. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so yeah, I, by I, English people. I think I think they're stuck with Rossing. I'm not. I'm certainly going to stick with it. Maybe even more aggressively than I'm sticking to <laughs> online rain, which is already obnoxious. But you know, that's uh, anyone that's found this podcast has probably found my Twitter account. So you you you're not surprised. I don't think by this behavior, and um, I'm pretty sure mine is worse. <laughs> like the, the percentage of people that listen to this show um that follow one of us on twitter is probably like 95 percent. so yeah. i think they they know it you know most people knew what they were getting into um what do you think of um the badge and the color scheme i know you wrote about it this morning but i figure since we're talking we might as well say it with words rather than yeah i think words. it's i think it's the the color scheme in particular is really cool the badge i'm I can take or leave. Uh, I don't have any bad things to say about it, but um, I don't like, it's not my favorite either. You know, it's mm. a good badge. The, uh, I think the the font that they chose for the badge is really good though. Um, and I assume that's just going to be a, that they're going to use that font consistently across their branding. And I think it looks really good. Um, but the, the colors, the lavender, the really like dark violet and the, little McGreen accents look really nice, really clean. And the way that they were able to like use different combinations of those to make like, you know, a bunch of like typical logo tees, but like that looks like they made 10 different shirts um, was really good. I mean, I, I, I like the font, especially, I think you're, you're, you're completely right about that. I, I think the badge is pretty good. Um, uh, it looks roughly like i would have expected like i think it captures what the the spirit of what i know about louisville is not that i'm a louisville expert or really an expert on a lot of things happening away from the east coast because i have been barely anywhere in my life um 
uh, in terms of geography. I barely traveled. Um, but I think that stuff looks good. Um, I kind of, I'm wary of the lavender and mint are both pastels and I'm wary of pastels at all times. So I, I feel like one plus that purple would be really good. Um, but uh, as the day has gone on, like my first reaction to it was two pastels. No. Um, but as the day has gone on, because we're recording at, you know, just before, like this podcast is going to end right before the Houston uh, Sky Blue game begins on Wednesday. Um, and just thinking back on it, I, I feel like I'm getting, I'm coming around to it. Uh, I like that it's not the same colors. I think that's maybe what's reassuring to me is yes. that every team in the league is blue um, with an accent color um, for the most part. And I, I'm sure the league is and Nike uh, is going to stick with this FIFA, this terrible FIFA idea of everyone has to have a white away, um, which, which really sucks. I feel like it's very boring to do that to everybody. Um, I feel like this is a perfect example where you could say our home is the two different shades of purple and our away is the mint uh, or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Um, and I, you know, I would love it if they prove me wrong and they're like, screw it. Let's do two different, um, you know, one is a darker uniform. One is a lighter uniform, but neither of them is white. That would be awesome. I feel like everyone should be doing that and tell FIFA to go to hell. Um, but people generally don't tell FIFA to go to hell as much as I would like. Yeah. You know, something else that I really like about it that I, that I commented on earlier is that it, it strikes the perfect balance between like looking like it is, some women's affiliated brand without like looking super like girly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't think that men or adult women are going to like look at their merch and say like, that makes me look like a 12 year old. Right. But like, it's still, it's still a color scheme that like feels like it's for a women's sports team and striking yeah. that balance, I think is very difficult because it's really easy to veer into like this looks like it came from fucking Claire's in the mall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you, and it's also very easy to be like, this is generic sports team and finding the the perfect like middle ground between those two things, I think is tough. And I think they nailed it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's funny how, um, how that balance is always something that people or not always, but often kind of on in both, you know, men's and women's leagues. Um, men's leagues are terrified of having pink because heaven forbid uh, a man wear pink, uh, it would ruin their reputation amongst the other men. <laughs> um, and then on the flip side of it, like, you know, exactly what you just said. So um, yeah, I think, I think they've really set themselves up well. And I also, um, I think they deserve some credit for being like, we had an idea. It was wrong. Uh, we stepped back from it, changed it. And now we have a new idea. What do you think about this new idea? Um, rather than saying like, well, screw it. This is the team name. And if you guys think it sucks, then it, you're going to hate it for 50 more years. Um, <laughs> which which has happened in American soccer. We've had yes. teams where it's like, everyone's like, don't do this. And they're like, we're stuck. We're, we, we did it. We can't possibly do anything else. Um, we already video. paid the branding guy, you know, $200,000 and we're not going to do it a second time. Yeah. So, you know, good for them. And uh, uh, hopefully, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that they're, I'm kind of, it's kind of insane that they're going to play 
in that new stadium. The US, the USL version of that organization is going to play with fans in that new stadium, but um, that shouldn't sully the stadium for whenever uh, people get a chance to travel to Louisville to see the Spirit play Rossing Louisville. Um, I don't think it should sully it anyway, but it is a crazy idea to try and play with fans in a stadium right now. There's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, um, hopefully so Rossing Louisville is able to play normal games with fans in the stadium safely in April. Um, but I'm, uh, I mean, I'm not a public health official, but right. that, like that's looking increasingly unlikely. <laughs> right, right. I, I don't know if you need to be an expert to necessarily think of the, that timeline and be like, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get there. Uh, it would be cool, but uh, it feels incre- increasingly unlikely by the day. Anyway, now that we've inserted a, a huge downer note uh, into the show about our medium-term futures as a country, um, let's talk about these two games. Uh, first game, the Spirit lose 2 nothing to the North Carolina Courage. Um, we saw, I've got my, my notes here, um, Richie rotated a little bit with the lineup. Um, he brought in Bailey Feist, Dorian Bailey, Maggie Doherty Howard, changed formation, which after the game he said he regretted. Um, what are your, your first thoughts when you think back to this one, other than that North Carolina pretty much dominated for 90 minutes? Yeah, that's my, my main note is North Carolina is really good. Yeah. <laughs> and even if the spirit played their best 11 and didn't change formation, I don't think they would have had a good chance to win the game. Um, I think that the way where spirit are in their development and where North Carolina are in their development are just like, it's, there's a, there's a gap <laughs> yeah. and that's not a criticism of the spirit. Cause there's a gap to everybody else too. Um, North Carolina is just that much better than everyone else. Um, I, I also thought that um, I thought may, the, the decision to play, Maggie Doherty Howard in the role that she was played in, like seemed to me like did not set her up to succeed. Um, I think she's a really good player, but I think she's a really good player when she plays uh, far forward and uh, the, the more defensive role seems to not suit her. Um, I don't want to pick on her and say like, Oh, that's where it went wrong. Cause like clearly mm-hmm. a lot of things went wrong. Um, yeah. North Carolina was just better in every way, but that's like the, I guess the first thing that sticks out to me of like, you know, if Richie could have changed something to give his team a better chance to succeed, I thought that was probably the, um, the worst of the decisions. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is if, if my memory serves me, I don't think she got time in the opener. Um, and if that's, I want to make sure I'm accurate before I just move on from that. No, she she got 24 minutes um, off the bench. So she got a little bit of time, but like 24 minutes and then your 2020 be, uh, gets going with playing the courage. Um, that's yeah, tough. You gotta, uh, yeah, you have to be the like focal point of like building out of the defense against that press. And like mm-hmm. you have to track the, the runs of lynn williams and like and to yeah. like damn that's uh and for somebody who is pretty notably better in the farther forward role than she is in that role like that's that's a very difficult ask yeah and and you know 
it wasn't like you said this wasn't like the first half went the way it did because of Maggie Doherty Howard it was an entire no. it was everything it was the entire it was team. everyone on the field um was was having a rough go of figuring out where the pressure was everyone on the everyone watching the game knew that North Carolina is going to press but there's a difference between knowing it's coming and knowing exactly where it's coming from um how fast it's going to arrive um I know from speaking with coaches that have played notorious high pressing teams in this league and in MLS that the first time you face it is always uh, it's a wake up call because there's no there is no replicating the courage. There's no like, well, we played a team that's like them. They're just not as good. There is no one that plays like the courage. They are they are unique in NWSL. Um, right. Well, it looks like unique. it looks like Houston is trying to replicate them in some ways. Um, yeah. They're not they're not playing the box, and the box is a unique thing. But mm-hmm. um, like I, I think it took a long time for North Carolina to build up the the fitness to play like that. Like they oh, didn't yeah. they didn't play exactly like this, you know, three years ago when they had mm-hmm. all of the same players more or less, because you know, it was like a multiple year plan to get them to the point where they could do this stuff. Like Dabinia was a pretty much a pure, like sit in the hole, like almost like Raquel May style 10 when mm-hmm. she got to the, the, when she got to the courage Which, and now she's this like crazy pressing, you know, defensive yeah. player. Just the thought of, uh, Raquel May playing for Paul Riley. Um, is is pretty right, it, that would be a pretty fabulous uh combination uh in its own way but yeah um and and Riley's or like doing Marta, the same or Marta or like anybody who's that level of like you know technical prowess and attacking mm-hmm. talent but like not uh you know particularly defensively minded or you know doesn't necessarily have the aptitude for pressing to like take a player like that and turn them into what Dabinia is now is mm-hmm. mind blowing, honestly. And, you know, it's funny that, you know, we're talking about this because one of the things with the courage was that, um, you know, they, they did rotate for the first half. They dropped some players out of their midfield. Um, Lauren Millay comes into crystal Dunn's spot. And this was the, the knock on her last year with the courage was that um, Riley and I think Riley told you specifically, she had the talent, to get on the field on the ball, but she didn't know how to do the pressing and the defensive work. Well, yeah, she just wasn't, you said she wasn't fit enough. And that's the case for most people who, I mean, it's the case for most rookies in any team, honestly, is they, they get to NWSL and they see like, Oh, I I thought I was in shape. Like this is, this is a different level, but then North Carolina is an, an even, you know, another level beyond that. So you know, Riley, for the most part, drafts players or trades for young players, knowing like year one, you're you're just learning. <laughs> and then, you know, year yeah. two, you actually have a shot to make a, a serious contribution. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, going back to the spirit, I think they I thought after the first, you know, the first 10 minutes, the game went exactly how I think everyone involved probably expected, which was that you know, the spirit were having trouble getting a hold of the ball because the courage were pressing them the way they do. I think there's a stretch in maybe the middle portion of the first half, maybe the middle 20 minutes where the spirit, they weren't getting up the field and they weren't creating any chances, but they were at least doing enough to get the, build the ball out of the middle to the fullbacks and at least 
get a little time to breathe. They were. Um, they looked like they were capable of getting a counter going. There was yeah. definitely like a twenty minute stretch where you were like, "I can, I can see the possibility of them getting the ball to Lavelle and her going on on a run, or I can see the possibility of them playing hatch in behind long." Um, and I thought, and you know, Feist did some good work too, but. After like I don't know if it was the I don't know if it was because the courage figured them out or uh, exactly exactly what was going on, but the last like ten minutes of the half they just they just crumbled, man. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah, I, you know I, I think it's probably looking back on it, it's probably a little bit of both between the courage figuring them out um, faster than the spirit were figuring the courage out, and also just uh, fitness um, because this. Uh, it's be, you're being dropped into a blender playing the courage. Um, Richie referred to it as a buzzsaw after the game, which is uh, pretty accurate. Um, usually human beings don't resemble a buzzsaw working together, but in this case, they kind of do. Um, and then at halftime, uh, Riley turns to Crystal Dunn, Sam Mewis, Denise O'Sullivan, um, and the spirit didn't make any subs. And, you know, before you know it, before or I guess I, I was about to say before they made any subs, it's two nothing. But actually, it's one nothing. They make one sub, and then within thirty seconds, uh, it's it's two nothing. And that second sub or that first spirit sub, I think, was Richie's um, move to try and get level. This was to pull MDH and bring in Jordan DiBiase um, to try and and add an attacking bent that wasn't there before. But as soon as she came into the game, North Carolina, I think they, I think they forced a goal kick that they forced a turnover, and then very quickly it's two nothing. Um, and at that point, you know the courage barely give up a single goal to anybody, much less two. Um, so the spirit were in deep trouble at that point, and I think they did not respond very well to that news. That, that this wasn't a good <laughs> fight back. This was a uh, we're we're sunk. This game is lost. Yeah, somebody asked Paul Riley in the the post match press press conference, like, Paul, did you make any tactical adjustments at halftime to get the team playing better? And he said, Yeah, I brought on Crystal Dunn, Sam Mewis, and Denise Sullivan. <laughs> it's like, you know who that person yeah, was? That'll do it. It was me. It was you that asked that question. Nice. Yeah, I, I I wanted him to go beyond those substitutions, but uh, obviously in this case. Uh, he was probably being perfectly honest and saying like, I brought in like three world-class players. Uh, yeah. Like that's we, were the, we were the better team in the first half, but we didn't score. Um, so I had no reason to change any tactics except put better players in the game and then just do the same thing. Um, <laughs> and it yeah. worked. Uh, you know, I, I got, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if that rose to quite the level of a zinger of uh, Mark Parsons giving me a zinger. Um but I guess that's my that's my thing now is getting zinged on the the Zoom calls. Um, yeah, it was, by, it was by various it, coaches. That's um, I don't know what, what we'd call the NWSL version if we want to call the a Parsons. It's you know kind of popularly known uh, in the NBA and has spread to other sports as getting popped. Right. And people um, ask Greg Popovich a stupid question, and he's like, you know, somebody, oh, what did you change or whatever? And he's like, um, I told my team to give Tim Duncan the ball, and he scored. Right, like, um, basically one of those situations. Yeah, and you know, sometimes games are as simple as that. Um, and we all we all want to make it very complicated, but sometimes it really is like we already have a good plan. 
why don't I just put better players into the game who are fresh and not tired and see if that works. And usually it works. Uh, usually putting good players in is a good strategy um, that so some teams in the league, maybe this morning's game, for example, uh, might might learn from. <laughs> do we know Do we know what North Carolina is doing different, by the way? Because like the, the level of fitness for everybody in the league is yeah. really good. Um, how are they just like a completely different level? Especially when they're they're you know they're bringing on Mackenzie Meehan and Meredith Speck and Lauren Belay, and they're like obviously not the same level of technical quality as the the starters ahead mm-hmm. of them, but they appear to have a similar level of fitness and like a similar ability to relentlessly close down all game. Um, and it's crazy to me that with those changes, North Carolina's press didn't didn't skip a beat didn't change at all i mean their their ability to create good goal scoring chances changed with those players on the field instead of um their starters but um what they what they were like defensively didn't change at all right because it's it's two i think it's two straight games for the courage even with various changes on various parts of the field where they've been able to um press a team to to such an extent that they barely get any scoring chances um, so I think a lot of it is probably just, a as, as much as this kind of ignores the fitness side of it, I think a lot of it is a mindset thing. Um, there's also that old weird brain trick you, you play on yourself, uh, in games where if you're having to do attacking running, it feels like you're not really having to do very much running, but if you're having to do defensive running without the ball, it sucks and you hate it and you feel tired. Um, I've always enjoyed when, um, uh, I think it's a popular phrase for Spanish and Italian coaches to refer to uh, your team is going to suffer. Um, I think it sounds very dramatic, but it's actually what's happening. Like you really are suffering uh, when you are doing that defensive running. It is so thankless and um, it's hard to keep the the mindset in a good place. So I think a lot of it is, I mean, we could be wrong. Like the courage, their strength and conditioning people could be like top of the line it just seems unlikely that they are so much more advanced than the other teams around the league. Right. And if they were like Portland would offer them a ridiculous yeah. amount of money to switch yeah, it, sides, if that was the case. Right. Um, or, or just, you know, one of the other by a men's team with unlimited money. Exactly. You're like so, someone would have said like, Oh, you're just better at this than everybody else. Um, would you like a raise? Um, and usually people are like, yeah, uh, same job, just more money. Okay. Um, I'll do that better. better We we see you, you, we see you're working this job over here for $60,000 a year. Would you like a million dollars? Right. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're this much better than everyone else, um, the men's team we're talking about is not like an MLS club. It's like an international club that can actually give you a gigantic contract because you're going to win them games. Right. Um, so, so I think a lot of it is the player buy-in that Riley gets, um, which we, you know, you and I have talked about a bunch before. Uh, your your reference to it as the cult um, is, I think, pretty accurate because everyone that comes there, the players that stick, um, they all buy in and they all have this level of fitness. So there must be just a fanatical dedication to um, doing the fitness work, nutrition 
sleep. I'm sure everyone on the courage is, is in bed at nine 30 every night, um, <laughs> getting their eight to nine hours, uh, religiously. Um, I really think that's, that that's probably a huge part of it. And if you're a Paul Riley and you have a player that is maybe like, Oh, this sucks. I hate doing all this running. You're like, look, you play here. You're going to win some championships. If you don't want to win some championships, there are eight other teams in the league. Um, I'll ship you out. Um, I'll, I'll make the call right now so you can get traded and you can go play for them. Um, and it's not even he's yelling at you. It's just, you know, these are the terms. Take it or leave it. Right. I mean, that's what he told Dabinia more. And she that's what she's mm-hmm. you know told media that that Paul Riley was like, hey, I think you're a great player. But like, if this is what you're going to do on defense, then you just can't play for me. And yeah. like you you've either got to change or you're going to be finding a new club at the end of the season because <laughs> this isn't going to work. And not in a mean way, just like, hey, this is the deal. Um, yeah. And I and she and she worked on that part of her game. And I think part of the way you you can sell this is like, it's gotta be it's gotta be fun when the other team just looks completely clueless. Mm-hmm. When the other when when your opponent is just like, I have no idea what just hit me. I don't know how we string three three passes together, and like you have to do all this work and it sucks and it doesn't, and it doesn't feel good. And, but at the the end of the day, if the result is like your team, the other team is just turning the ball over to you repeatedly and can't even get over the halfway line. Like that's got to feel pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I imagine uh, it's kind of a self, a, uh, what am I looking for? A, uh, uh, self-perpetuating um, uh, motion machine. Like, the fact that the courage have their morale where it is that they can do what they do um, every single time they're winning the ball and making things difficult for the other team to build. Uh, it's just adding to that positive morale for the courage. And also it's demoralizing for the other team. Um, so I, th- I think um, every courage game, I feel like is a mental battle as much as it is. I mean, it's extraordinarily yes. difficult on the soccer side, but the mentality battle is just as big. Um, and you know, last year when the spirit beat the courage, um, you know, that's a game that you look back on it and say, yeah, they also got very lucky. Um, the cur or the spirit said that I think Rose Lavelle, uh, and, and Mal Pugh were both like, oh yeah, we, we could have easily been down two or three at halftime and that would have been the game. We would not have been a- able to break them down after that. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the first half of this game, um, kind of reminded me of the first half of that game, except you know, weirdly enough in the spirit win, the courage got their goal right before halftime, which should have been the deflating moment that took the spirit out. Uh, in this one, they got to, they survived to halftime. They got through that late barrage that we were talking about. Um, they got into halftime at zero zero. They had their chance to sort out the things that were going wrong. And, and, you know, unfortunately it just never, they never really got going. Um, Rose Lavelle had a few breakouts when, when she was able to find some space and, and get on the ball, uh, the spirit were able to do something, not a lot, but something. Um, but you know, those few, those chances were few and far between. And, uh, it was probably smart of, of the coaching staff to decide, you know, let's make the sub, um, let's get Sullivan out Lavelle out. Like this is, this game isn't going to turn itself around and this is just 20 lost minutes for those players. So, um, probably good for uh, Sanchez and Bossieri to get a look at what it's like to play against the courage. 
Um, not that not that they were able to really impact the game, but at least they got this like, look, we're trying to we're trying to climb the mountain. This is what's waiting for us at the top. Um, just so you know, this is what's coming. Um, right. Nobody ever got better without getting their ass kicked a few times. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, it, it's it, there. There are positives that, you know, the fact that it's a preliminary round in the spirit. Uh, not that the spirit were in any real danger of finishing ninth uh, coming into this thing when there were nine teams. But, you know, these preliminary games, if you go and things go wrong and you learn from it, that's still a positive. Um, if you go and get clobbered and then you don't improve at all, then maybe you've made a mistake. Uh, maybe you need to reconsider some things. Um, but yeah, I think for some of the, you know, I, I will say I do want to make before we move on for this game, because we're I'm looking at the clock, um, kind of have to move on from it. Um, I do think Katie McClure had a couple uh, decent runs late. I know she had the one shot, the last, I think the last shot of the game that she went, she sent it well over the bar. But the fact that she got into that position um, and and was rewarded with the pass and had the look that she did. Um, that's a good signal. I think that um, she's able to think the game at the level required because that, you know, North Carolina makes it so difficult for you to ever get space against them. So seeing her get that, you know, it's one moment, it might be a small sample size, but I felt like that was a positive sign. No, that's what I, and that's what I thought about her in college too, is that, you know, the, the question was, does she have the physical ability to hang at NWSL level? Is she, you know, strong enough, fast enough? Because mm-hmm. her her work rate was always there. Her her mental reading of the game, how to um, exploit space was always there. And technically, she's pretty good. Um, it was just, is she going to be able to, to rise to the NWSL level physically? And we're not going to have an answer to that in this tournament. Um, no we're probably not going to have an answer to that next year either. Um, right. It's something that often takes players quite a while to figure out. Um, but it was, it was definitely nice to see that um, the things that she was really good at in college and that got her kind of like noticed by Tom and got her drafted um, look like they might translate to the pro level. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad year to be a rookie. Um, I hope the situation is well off enough where they can somehow some of these younger players that aren't getting a lot of time in this tournament might get a chance to um, get a loan somewhere, but I don't know how that might work because in a lot of places that you might want to get a loan to, you can't go to as an American right now uh, because we're in this inescapable uh, pandemic, which we keep circling back to um, because it's everywhere. Um, Abrupt segue to the one, one draw. (laughs) with the, the Portland Thorns. Um, this was a very different game. The Spirit went back to the 4-3-3. They brought Kumi Yokoyama and Sanchez back in. Um, but they did make a couple notable changes with some veterans. We saw Natalie Jacobs at right back, uh, Avery Collins at uh, as a striker, and uh, the Spirit started the game with Rosabelle in reserve. So um, I thought that was pretty fascinating. The 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 Thorns, I would say, looking back at their lineup, were closer to their best 11. It's not at their best 11, but closer to it than um, I think the Spirit were, or I would, I would argue anyway. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I, I liked the, the strategy from the Spirit, given um, that Laval and Hatch were probably on some level of minutes restriction to, um, to put 
specifically Collins and Feist in there and say like, your job is to run at people and kind of like throw your body around and cause some havoc and wear people out um, until, until they can come in. And um, I thought that they, you know, they did that job. Um, I, you know, Collins, she, she looks like a rookie. I have, you know, zero criticism for her because she's a rookie in her first game and I'm not ever going to criticize any rookie in their first game. Um, Mm -hmm. But you could like, even though she had some rough moments, you could see her talent, right? Like you could see why she was drafted. You could see why she was given this opportunity and why the spirit thinks she can become, you know, a significant contributor for them because she, she has that, that physical, both the physical ability and the like mentality of like, going into challenges mm-hmm. um but I don't, she she also didn't look like she was quite ready for um how good salem and menges and hubley are at this which is fine because that's what <laughs> that's what being a rookie and playing your first game is supposed to be like um right. and then feist obviously more experienced did that job uh a little more effectively yeah i, th- I thought for collins um some of the trouble was just that in the first half um portland uh, I would say their their diamond dominated the the game. Uh, their midfield diamond really kind of um, their diamond, and specifically Lindsay Horan, um, allowed them to dictate the terms a lot. So the Spirit were um, kept to a very low passing percentage for the Spirit. For most teams, you know, not not too great, but not. I think it was at seventy one percent, which most of the teams in the league are a little above that, but the spirit last year were at like 80 to 85% on a regular basis, even against the courage. Um, so the thorns by forcing that many giveaways and also, you know, the spirit had some giveaways of their own that were unforced. We have to, you know, we can't say it was entirely the thorns, but um, that didn't help Collins because as a forward, if, if you're a play out of the back team, and you're not completing enough of your passes, then your number nine is not going to be doing very much on the day. Um, and right. so she and spent a lot. Of... Go ahead. She, you know, right? Like a lot of this, a lot of the opportunities she had to get on the ball were like going into fifty fifties, and mm-hmm. um, obviously that's that's not ideal. That's not the game plan, especially for the spirit. Yeah, when you're a center forward, uh, I mean, I remember playing youth soccer on a team where our center forward was very effective, but he also effectively uh, his entire game was built on winning a series of 50 fifties until he got close to goal. Um, (laughs) Just not a thing you see in professional soccer a lot for a reason. Um, And so the fact that that was her job on the day, I don't think that was the plan. I don't think they wanted her to play the way she did where I think she only had 13, 14 touches, something like that on the uh, box score. Um, I don't think Richie ever wants his center forward to only have that many touches in a given half. Um, but that's, that's what the Portland thorns did. Um, they made that happen. Um, they made the spirits life fairly difficult at halftime. Not that the thorns had a ton of chances. Um, that's Portland's problem right now is maybe that they, they are dictating the terms, but are not turning that into very many scoring chances outside of like Lindsay Horan does something on her own. Yeah, you know what what Portland did really well in this game is they forced the Spirit fullbacks in the first half into into turnovers. They mm-hmm. made things, you know, really hard for for those players, McGrady and Jacobs. Um this, you know, the Spirit a, a big part of what they do is building out from the back using their fullbacks specifically. 
and the the thorns looked prepared for that and the way that like their their diamond kind of shifted around as a unit so like the the outside like shuttling midfielder Haran or Rodriguez could put pressure on the fullback and like cut off the passing lanes without vacating the midfield and like mm-hmm. they you know they'd still have the you know three in the center and then if the spirit switched it they you know the the thorns shifted very effectively um and when a team a team playing a diamond is executing that stuff well it's really hard to play against um but i thought that spirit adjusted really well at halftime to kind of changing their build up a little bit playing a lot more through andy sullivan and like she kind of had the responsibility where she had to make the pass that broke a line or she had to dribble past somebody. Mm-hmm. And once she took that responsibility, whether that was, um, I don't know to what degree it was her decision, Richie telling her to do that, probably some combination of the two. But mm-hmm. once she started doing that, the spirit started playing way, way, way better. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a huge um, turning point for sure. Um, and something that um, it, you know, it's good that, for, for a player like Jacobs, for example, um, to see that, to be able to say like, oh, this is how this, like when this happens, this way of playing is going to work. And when it doesn't happen, we've got a big problem. Um, and that's kind of the way the game went, you know, for Jacobs, it was a shaky outing. Um, but like you said, you know, first start, not her first appearance, but first pro start. Uh, and it's not against uh, one of the lesser teams, the spirit with the schedule change, they ended up in the strong group where all the good teams are. Um, and and, and so, Jacobs was on the was on the side with Haran too. Yeah, um, exactly. Like so she a world class player. Uh, yeah, like she's really going one v one with arguably the best eight in the world. Yeah. Um, so that yeah, it's it's an extraordinarily difficult task, and uh, you know, unfortunately, a rocky first start, but also very good for learning um all of this right. stuff that's, is how you learn. That's, how you get, um, that's how you get better and you know at halftime richie kind of took the paul riley strategy of turning to his bench and bringing in excellent uh proven uh high-end players by bringing in Roosevelt and ashley hatch um i think the spirits they didn't turn the game like the courage took it up another level and were clearly more dominant um it didn't quite turn the game uh, in the same manner. Um, it definitely brightened the spirits play, but the, the thorns were still having, uh, some success. And, you know, one thing I I tweeted in the first half that Portland's set piece, uh, play in the first half had been really bad. Klingenberg's delivery kept being really pretty much useless. Um, and the spirit kept either having just a goal kick and not having any defensive work to do or defending it very easily. Um, but when you're looking at the Thorns, you're looking at Haran and Sinclair and Morgan Weaver. They've got a lot of targets uh, setting up in these. It's like if you get these, if you get the defending wrong once, or if they get the delivery exactly right just once, you're going to be in trouble. And on the goal, that's both of those things happened. Klingenberg's service was excellent, and it looked to me like the Spirit completely got the timing wrong, and thus. It's just Lindsay Horan uh, heading a ball with Bledsoe having absolutely no one doing anything to stop any of this. I'm also not sure, like, if it would have mattered, like, if there if there right. wasn't a breakdown, if if Horan's marker 
timed uh, timed it perfectly and stuck with her, like I think she probably would have scored anyway. And yeah, it's Lindsay Horan in the air. Um and, and it was and the, the the quality of that delivery was great. And like you said, you only have to get it right once. And and that time, like Kling got it perfect. Yeah. Um and and, and you know, that's something the spirit gonna have to learn how to do is um if you're if you're going to be the if you play the way they play and you're not used to not having dominating a possession, they're used to having more of the ball than anyone they play against. And this was an instance where that wasn't happening. You've got to find a way to still defend without conceding too many set pieces and too many corners. Sometimes corners are a little harder to avoid conceding. Um, but defending without fouling is, I think, something that the group could have gotten a little better at because it was just it wasn't that they fouled all the time. It was just when they found themselves in an instance where the defending got a little tricky for them. It kept being in moments where the set piece was going to be dangerous as a result. Um so that'll be, I mean, I don't know how much the coaching staff wants to spend on set pieces during this tournament where you've got almost half the roster turned over and you're looking at um, building up uh, players on the fundamentals of how you play as, as the Washington spirit, how you play during the rest of the game. Um, but, you know, avoiding that many set pieces piling up is probably going to be part of some team talks this week, I would imagine. Um, and if you want to want to win the tournament, like that's that's a very good way to win the tournament without having the best team is having yes. the best set pieces um so you know, obviously during these group stage games perhaps you're more focused on like focusing on your um f- like fundamentals of your style of play and and getting um the young players especially up to speed on that or you know new signings like like kumi you know you're you're more focused on that stuff but as you get to the knockouts like probably want to take a decent part of your training session on uh on on set pieces and maybe uh you know look at the film of your opponent's set pieces and draw something up because uh it's a very good way to to win knockout games when you are the inferior team yeah um and and you know it's it's weird i i I keep this spreadsheet on set piece goals in the in the league and weirdly enough we're talking about one game that had two set piece goals and the other game with uh, a bunch of set piece goals was that utah houston game uh, that actually was uh going on while right before we recorded the last episode um where again we were seeing some set pieces that were more down to disorganized teams defending them whether it was the dash with their uh, horrific attempt at a wall uh, against Vera Boquete or um, both of the, the free kick goals that were just served into the box for a runner. Um, both of them were not really defended very well. So it, it looks like teams are just not necessarily bankrolling a ton of their day towards that right now. But I think you're probably onto something that when the knockout comes, I think we're going to see some work go towards that because <clears throat> once you get to the knockout, uh, you know, for most teams that are, there are several teams in the league that haven't ever won anything. And this is a chance to win something. It's not, you know, the championship, but it's something. Um, so I, I do think we'll probably see some improvement league wide in that regard. Um, I will say that, you know, Portland gave up the, the corner kick, the spirits goal um, is not really one where it's like, wow, how'd you give that up? It was um, Dorian Bailey took a corner that, that really was just headed out of bounds and Ashley Sanchez 
went for the Miracle heel flick to keep it in more than anything else. And the Miracle went straight to Sam Staub. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, sorry to bring uh, nerd shit into this podcast, but mm-hmm. um, if, you're lo- if you're looking at like, I don't know, teams set piece expected goals over the course of a whole season. Um, mm-hmm. Spirit are pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, right. Portland are, are really good. And honestly, that is like the biggest difference between those two teams last year. Um, in like, maybe not, maybe it didn't actually play out like, like that. Um, I think Portland was very unlucky to not score more set piece goals and spirit scored mm-hmm. a couple more than they should have. But yes, <laughs> uh, the spirit were not effective at creating good set piece chances last year. And Portland were very effective. And I think that like this, this game is like a funny continuation of that where like they both scored one set piece goal, but the one that Portland scored was like a solid, like, I don't know, 0.2 XG, yeah. like 20% chance. And the one the spirit scored was like a, a 1%. Well, if you think if you think back to last year, um, the curry or the the spirit had five by my count. They had five set piece goals. Um, four of them came very early in the season, and then they scored one with their last with it, their last sixteen games. They had one, and I think it was like a ball got served in. They blocked a clearance. It was scrappy. It was one of those. Um, but two of those came against the thorns at the Plex, and this was the Jordan Jordan DiBiase Olympico. Uh, uh, goal and there was another I can't remember what the other set piece goal in that game was but um, yeah this is uh, maybe this is just tradition in this series is uh, the spirits score very unusual set piece goals against the thorns much to Portland's chagrin yeah um, I think Washington had something like like four set piece goals off two set piece xg last year something along, right. along that, the that would make sense and the thorns had I think uh like five or six set piece goals, but off like nine set piece XG. Yeah. So they really just, they, they got unlucky. <laughs> the spirit got lucky. And uh, it's very funny that that, that trend continued. Um, the back hill was sick though. Yeah. Even if it wasn't planned and even if it was a very low percentage chance and lucky, like it was still a sick back heel by Ashley Sanchez. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed both the fact that she was upfront about she was like the ball was going to go out. I was trying to keep it in. Um, that's the the whole thought process uh, on that front. And then on the on Stobbs end of things, that she didn't even actually see the ball go in. Um, she saw people celebrating. I was like, I guess I scored. Um, <laughs> so you know, I, I I am glad for the spirit. You know, I think Andy Sullivan after the game said that. Um, looking back on North Carolina, as we talked about, they didn't respond well to the goals against, they didn't have that, um, that pushback, that mental desire to, to fight and, and get back into the game. This time they did. Um, it wasn't, I I don't think it was a perfect performance by any means, but they earned a goal, even though it was a weird goal. I think they, they did enough in the game to get something, um, in the second half. So, um, weird goal or not uh i, I think that was a big plus i um we're running out of time so i'm trying to speed through any other is there, is there anything else that, that comes to mind that you want to talk about from this portland game yeah before we get out of here i do want to talk some more about ashley sanchez who um appears to be a very quick learner um yeah because 
you know, we talked the on the last show about how about her, um, you know, taking too many dribbles and trying to beat the opponent five times instead of playing an early pass or shot, and uh, how much that has uh, often frustrated Richie and her teammates, um, and her, probably her teammates at UCLA too. Um, mm-hmm. But she didn't do that at all in this game against Portland. She she was um, she was making way better decisions about when to try to run at somebody, when to use those dribbling skills, and when she should pass or shoot early. Um, and to see someone make that like dramatic of a change in their play style and decision making over the course of a week or two weeks is um, really really impressive. Yeah, that's it's it's remarkable um, to to figure it out that quickly. And I know it sounds some of that sounds easy, right? Like choose the pass a little more often than than the dribble, or choose the shot more than the dribble. Um, but those decisions are so much more difficult when you're actually on the ball, uh, on the run with defenders around you. The the simplicity of the decision is it's only really simple at this remove where we are um, watching on TV from afar. When you're doing it, it's very difficult to get these decisions right regularly. And the fact that she went from getting into good positions but making the wrong choice so much in the opener to all of a sudden being consistently so dangerous. Um, I love that um, there was that moment in the game. I'm trying to remember which at which point it was. Um, she had that great pass um, for Hatch, uh, mm-hmm. maybe, right, maybe right before the goal, actually. Um, but the reason that pass worked was that Sanchez used her reputation as a dribbler uh, to fool Kristen Westfall. She, she looked, she gave her the look like I'm coming at you for the dribble and Westfall bit really hard and went narrow. And before Sanchez even actually attempted the dribble, she's like, Oh, you just gave me this pass. I'm going to make the pass instead. And in the first game, she would have gone through with the dribble, I think. Um, But this, this was that, that quick evolution. That's a, the kind of evolution we normally see in players in like week 15, uh, after right. having trouble with it in week one and two, and she's making that dis- that evolution as a player in under a, or what is it eight days between games, um, so that that kind of stuff is is huge. It's a huge sign that she is going to be the player that you know they traded a national team World Cup winner to to get the chance to take Ashley Sanchez, and it's a big bet to place. And this is the kind of thing that. Um, makes you think that they knew what they were doing when they made the move, because if she can learn this quickly and, you know, we're still in this weird small sample size where the entire season is being compressed into a few weeks. Um, But if she can show this sort of learning from game to game uh, on a even somewhat consistent basis, then she's going to be a constant threat in this league, much like, you know, I think we were talking during the game uh, Morgan Weaver for Portland also looked like someone that really deserved that early draft pick that really merited mm-hmm. the um, what Portland was willing to give up to get into position to get her and Sophia Smith. Um, those two players both look like they're going to be special players in this league. And and then, you know, not just in the league, but potentially with the national team as well. Yeah. Um, in case we haven't been like clear and or like people don't know how good Ashley Sanchez is. Ashley Sanchez is like, a absolutely ridiculous like top 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 tier prospect like she was called into national team camp when she was 16 years old she destroyed u17 level she destroyed at u20 level um 
and usually playing against people who are a couple of years older than her in both instances. Um, and you could kind of see at the draft how she felt, she felt slighted by dropping to four. Like she felt insulted mm-hmm. by that. And yeah. um, I, I kind of hope she's like using that to, to feel her that she's got that like chip on her shoulder. Like I want to prove people wrong because based on her previous body of work and, uh, basically everybody's assessment of her talent as a teenager, um, she should have taken that as a slight because she was somebody who everybody thought whenever she goes pro nailed on number one draft pick, you know, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. um, And that didn't end up being the case. um, But I think we can see that she's, she does indeed have that level of talent. Yeah. um, And it's, it's one of those funny things in draft where, Sometimes teams are like, well, we're just going to take the player with the highest ceiling and we trust ourselves to get that player to that level. Um, and other times teams get a little a little gun shy about that and like, I don't know about this player. I don't know if her mind is ever going to allow her to reach that. And I'd rather take the sure thing that I know this player is going to end. Up. I know her trajectory. I know exactly how her career is going to go. Maybe it's not going to be national team starter uh, superstar, but. I know that I can get her to, you know, a tier or two below that. And I'll take the the sure thing. Right. And that's the case think... with both Weaver and Korniak is like, mm-hmm. those players are going to be good pros. Like right. as long as they, as long as they stay healthy, they are going to be, you know, good NWSL players guaranteed, even if they never get better than they are right now. Whereas right. Sanchez is like, you know, if Sanchez never gets better than she is right now, she might not be a starter in the league. Um, mm-hmm. But her best moments are better than anybody else's best moments. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's fair to characterize the the team's draft strategy when when you talk to Richie or or to Tom or just look at their body of work at this point. They are not hesitant to go for the big talent that they know might take some work. Um, well, right. they are not, and it's, not just her. it's, it's, it's Avery Collins. It's Kaya mm-hmm. McCullough. Those are, t- you know, two other players who high ceiling, not pro ready. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it seems like they pretty consistently have that philosophy. Right. And, and you know, that's, that's a really good place to be. Cause we look at on draft day, you look back at what some teams did and you wonder if there's a philosophy or if it's just like, okay, we made a pick 10 minutes ago. What do we do now? Um, there's not necessarily a lot underpinning what they end I'm, up doing. I'm going to be a, a dick right now. Um, if you if you really follow college soccer closely and then you follow the draft, you can pick them out. You can tell which teams actually have a philosophy which teams mm-hmm. actually do the homework and which teams are throwing darts based on watching the NCAA tournament and talking to agents. It's very, very easy to figure out. It does so, seem that way. I mean, you're, you're, so you're saying like, oh, it seems like some teams that, no, some teams don't have a philosophy. Some mm-hmm. teams are extremely dependent on players sending clips to them on watching the NCAA tournament and on agent recommendations. Right. Um, And, you know, I know you've done a ton of that work in that department and, um, you know, just talking to you about 
the last two drafts and seeing what's gone on with the players that you were like, ah, I don't think it's going to work. Um, it really does seem to be just down to um, either a coaching staff that isn't inclined. You know, we've seen there were always rumors about like Laura Harvey didn't want to deal with drafting young players and developing them. She wanted players who were the finished model. Um, and there are teams where you can tell that that's probably of philosophy that's in place as well. Like a general, like, I don't just don't feel like dealing with this. Um, right. And while I understand that, I also, I, I can't wrap my head around that idea because in the NWSO, where are you going to get the bulk of your players in any given season? You're going to get them from the draft or players well, that were drafted like a year before. Um, right. And look at like North Carolina, best team, best team in the league, probably the best team in American club soccer history. Mm-hmm. Um, they're starting a fourth round draft pick at right back and she's playing very well. Yeah. So and, like, it doesn't matter who you are. You need to be good at the draft to be a championship championship competitor. There's no way around it. Right. And, you know, look at the rest of their squad. Like how many of those players were drafted uh, with the flash or with the courage? They, they have hammered away at the draft and now look at them. Like it's not, it's not like you just have to do exactly what they did in the draft and you'll be just as good as the courage, but it is a situation where you can do this thing that they do and it will help you. Um, so, I mean, to some degree, the courage got lucky because when they were the flash, they were a team that nobody wanted to play for. So they had to trade away a bunch of their good players for draft picks. Right. And then the draft that they did that happened to be the most loaded draft in the history of women's <laughs> professional soccer in America. So like that's lucky, but they also had to take the good players and not the bad players. Yeah, and they could have easily blown it, and we could be sitting here like doing draft retrospectives and be like, "Wow, what an what an a uh, moment they had that they just completely wasted." And instead, we're talking <laughs> about the courage are this uh, invincible juggernaut, basically. That uh, by the way, the team that is the Boston Breakers, and they don't exist anymore. Oof. <laughs> well, I guess that's a that's a good downer ending. Uh, for- <laughs> A show that has come come back to some downer points a few times, but uh, that's life in 2020. Um, I'm I'm looking over and watching the the lineups are showing on CBS, so we should probably call it. Thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, we are at Plexweather on Twitter. You can follow us there. Uh, that's where the new episodes will be announced. If you want to do like RSS uh, or find them via the other podcasting means that people use to find podcasts, we're on. Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify. I think those are the four. I'm pretty sure those are the four. That um, sounds right. I know that we got Apple because there was an email that they sent later. So that was the one that stood out because it had a different a different way of doing things. Um, Fantastic. So you can find us in those places, or you can just go to our tweet. If you don't feel like dealing with all of that stuff, go to the tweet and hit play. Uh, it'll allow <laughs> you to play it right there on your browser. Um <laughs> And until then, we have, yeah, I can't think of anything else to say, so we should probably stop. Thanks for listening. This has been Plex Weather. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>